people are going to judge you no matter what. They're going to judge you and say they love your purple shirt today. They're going to judge you and say they don't like your hair today. They're going to judge you and say you're out of your league talking about this. Does it matter? Think about all of people who need the information that you have to share. Think about all the people who are going to benefit from the information you have to share. Hey guys, welcome to the Power and Persistence podcast. I'm your host, Jesse Blois, business owner, mentor, self-care advocate, manifester, wife, and mama of two. This podcast is designed to make you feel seen and inspired. Join me for honest and raw conversations with successful women and purpose-driven entrepreneurs. We'll explore how they imperfectly but persistently juggle career, family, and relationships, all while honoring their authentic selves. Let's dive in. I am so excited today because Hallie Bulkin is here on the podcast to talk about her incredible journey as a woman in business. Such an inspiring story. And I know we're all going to be so inspired. So Hallie, let's just start at the very beginning. When you graduated and you were done with grad school, where did your career take you first? So I actually had (laughs) signed my life away. Um, First of all, thank you for having me on the podcast. I'm really excited to be here. Um, But I signed my life away, kind of, kind of, not really, because I had like so many things go through my head. I'm like, oh, I she did this or this. (laughs) Yeah, no, I agreed to work in the public school system in exchange for an agreement with my university, where they were supposed to cover the cost of like grad school and pretty much. I think it was like tuition, maybe not all of like room and board, but like tuition and basically all of those expenses for the most part. Apparently they didn't account for inflation. So it didn't actually cover all of the schooling fees, which I was not happy about to learn about in my second year of grad school when I got a bill. Nonetheless, like it wasn't like, oh, hey, by the way, you owe us money. It happened in grad school, but you had to continue on this course. Yeah. I mean, it was like, I have to pay for this. Like, what do I do? Right. I mean, and it wasn't like a significant amount of money, but I was a grad student. So that was, that put a sour taste in my mouth before I even had the job. Then I went to work for the schools, which I never wanted to do. But basically my parents were like, I mean, you'd be silly not to take it. It's basically like a free ride and a guaranteed job right out of school. And you're going to go into this clinical fellow year, at least like, you know, you have something locked in and you're not stuck there forever. And I was like, yeah, I mean, I guess that makes sense. Like here I am. Like your first year. Yeah. So my first three years, I signed a three-year contract. Okay, so, so it wasn't just your clinical fellowship year. Correct. And for, so, yeah. um, a speech pathologist, just for anyone that doesn't know, that's only nine months. Yeah. Okay. And so it was nice to obviously have a job and have an income like right out of school and not have to worry about that. It was more like interviewing to figure out like where I was going to be placed versus like whether or not I'd have a job. So that was nice. but. I went to them. I was like, Hey, I want to work in the infant and toddler program. Like that's my desire. And they were like, no, sorry, you didn't have an outplacement with infants and toddlers. You only had it with like the preschool program. And so I was like, no, like, (laughs) so already again, like off the bat, I just wasn't happy. So then they agreed to give me full-time placement with the preschool program split between two schools, which was unheard of. Nobody else did that, but it's like, you know, I, I always, my husband says what Hallie wants, Hallie gets. Like I figure out a way to get what I want. And I was like, you it's know, not I don't agree with that. <laughs> As we go through your career, I think everyone's going to see. Yeah. Yes. yes. But I think it's, you know, I just kind of figure out to, a way to make things work. But I have to like give credit to both my parents because I've watched them both own businesses and also an event planner I worked for where it was almost like, you don't, not that you don't take no for an answer. If someone says no, but you still desire it, you figure out a way to go make it happen another way, right? And so it just was ingrained in me, you know, if there's a problem, we fix it or we do our best to mitigate the issue so nobody else really knows there's a problem if it's like a client issue, right? That's your job behind the scenes. So anyways, all that considered, right? I went and worked for the schools for three years. And, you know, after my first two years in the preschool program, I was like, I'm done. I'm jaded. I hate this. I don't want to be a speech pathologist anymore. What next? I had that moment. I started looking into real estate when I was in the schools. I was like, I I don't want this profession. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I went in and became a beach body coach. I started doing that. Oh yeah. 
And so I started doing network marketing and I was running like study clubs for free, not study clubs, fitness like clubs for free. Like we were doing like business presentations and I actually replaced my income. And so when I did go to infants and toddlers in my third year, they let me do that. Had I started there, I probably would have stayed in the county a bit longer because I really did enjoy going into homes, working one-on-one, but maybe not because there's just so much bureaucracy and red tape and people telling me like what I can and can't do as an SLP for them. You're allowed to help these families. I know. Yeah. And I mean, like, oh, you can't do feeding. And then, oh, by the way, this um, SLP just went on maternity leave and here's your her caseload of, you know, children with 24-hour nurses. Um, please go into their classroom and feed them. And I was like, Wait, I thought I couldn't do feeding and I don't have the proper training. What just happened? So it does provide the service that we can't get to. Exactly. So, well, meanwhile, I go in and these nurses are like pouring feeds down children with their necks like hyperextended. And I'm over here going like, okay, I don't know much, but I know that is not safe. (laughs) So that actually propelled me into my feeding career as a speech pathologist. Thanks for that. Um, But yeah, no, at the end of my three years, I quit my job. I took my beach body income, which actually replaced my income working for the county. And at that point, I was like, I'm done. I left the field for eight months. And during that time, I also switched to a different network marketing company, which I thought would be better because better pay plan, better, you know, whatever. It's all the same. I did make always money. They think it's greener. You know, it was like, I earned the money and I got the car payment and, you know, went and got my BMW. But then I was kind of like, I'm working with a bunch of whiny adults who want to lose weight and make money, but nobody wants to put in the work for either one of those. So I'm done. Like, I don't like this either. So at that point, I was like, I miss the babies. I miss the little kids. And I went to work for a private practice for a year. We almost partnered. We ended up not. And that was basically after I said I was going to go out on my own. And so I, here I am now. That was back in June 2014 that I launched my private practice. And it's now October 2022. And yeah, the practice is still there. But so I've done a lot of other things. But a lot of change since then. So we first started talking when I reached out to you when I was starting my practice. Because yeah. your practice was already established. And that's was our first introduction. And to me, that feels like years ago. So yeah, at that point, you were a private practice owner and helping other practice owners kind of get off the ball and get going. And then since then, you've really blown up. Your hands doing in a lot of areas, really providing an amazing opportunity to professionals in our scope. And then those that we work with as a team, which I think you provide opportunities to people that don't get those opportunities otherwise through other certifications, which I think is amazing. You started your private practice and then what happened? How long were you doing solely running your practice and what happened inside of you to say like, I want to do more than this? So when I started here well first of all here's how I go into any business like I go in with my mind open because I never know like what opportunities are gonna arise and I never you know obviously I have a goal in mind but my type A personality has become more type B thanks to my both having kids and trying to run a business. I basically went from being like an over I joke I'm like a recovering perfectionist, a recovering overdoer, a recovering like burning, you know, what do they say? Um what it is it from both ends like I realized like that just wasn't sustainable. And I'm not going to sit here and tell you like, I don't work late. Like, hi, I was messaging you at like what, like two in the morning, like two nights ago. Yep. But that was a choice I made, right? I was like, okay, I just had one of my team members here that, you know, we've had a lot of guests recently that we've entertained in my house. You know, I'm trying to work. I've got kids in school. I've got family stuff. You know, I ended up not getting as much done on Monday during my workday hours that I wanted to. And I was like, I have a choice. I can go to sleep right now. And it'll probably take me about a week to get back to some of these things. Or I can get four hours of sleep tonight, get these things off my plate, you know, get everything I need to get done. And then tomorrow, if I'm tired, like I'm not going to feel the guilt that might start to creep in over not getting the stuff done yesterday and then being too tired to do it today um, and having limited time. And so it was a choice, right, that I made. And before, obviously, it was a choice I made before, but it wasn't made in the same way, right? Like years ago, I, I just, just did it because I felt like I had to. And I felt yeah. like I'd be disappointing somebody else. And I felt like I'd be 
start like all the stories and all the names and all this and all that. No, now I'm like, I'm good and I'm happy. If I get it done or I don't get it done, but I know my energy will feel better tomorrow, even if I'm tired, if I get this done tonight. So you did it for your own self-care, your own mental peace. It wasn't out of guilt of what somebody else is wanting from you, what somebody else is expecting from you, which I know as I grew my business, um, it's something I still have to go back and work myself through. Feeling like you're not showing up for enough people or you're not doing enough for enough people. And as you just said, you have kids, your wife, when we have employees, when we have clients, when we have children and her husband, you can't right. show up perfectly for all of them. And then you pour from your own cup first, right? It's like, you have to take yeah. care of you in order to be all of those things to all these other people. Right. And if you have this to-do list nagging <laughs> you, for me, that would just kind of like put me on edge. So I totally get it. I totally get just knocking it out, knowing it's done and then taking that deep breath to like go on with the rest of your week. Oh yeah. I mean, it was a calendar. Like people would laugh. Like I literally move tasks from one day to the next day or even to the next week sometimes like seven days away. Cause I'm like, you know what? This is not a has to get done right now thing. It would be a nice to get done, but not like a, it's not going to serve my clients in the way that I need to. Like I need to focus on who are my clients? What are the programs that I have committed to? What does my family need right now? Like there are things that I put in place that are absolute like must do's. And I try to get those things done first. Like being a person with ADHD, being a person who does not get started easily in the morning, like it can take me half the day to get started. And I'm like, oh, my kids are home in a couple hours. Yay for that. I'm highly distracted. And I'm also like, oh, shiny. Like, oh, let's go do that. Oh, let's go do this. And as much as I carve out time in my schedule, it doesn't mean things are always going to get done. Like if I'm writing something, I have to be in a headspace to write and I can't force that. And so it can take me months longer than I anticipated to create Mm -hmm. things. Yeah. And it's, you know, I'm very energetically based now, which I wasn't always before I would sit there and force. And I feel like when things were forced, it didn't attract the right people to me because I was just doing to do. I wasn't being the person who needed to make certain choices to then attract the people into my life that I actually wanted to work with, whether that was clients in my private practice or business owners that I wanted to coach. I think that's why I felt so connected to you when we reconnected, because that is what in my world as a business owner has changed everything for me was finding the energy, staying aligned to what's true to me. I think the greatest thing that I've learned to do is to say no. Yes. No to what doesn't serve me so I can allow what does serve me to come in. And it's so easy as a business owner to want to say yes to everything because it's immediate money. It's immediate, easier financial security. It's an immediate employee to fit a need. But if it's if your intuition saying no, mm-hmm. you have to trust it. Yeah. Yeah. Like just yesterday, and I'll answer your question you asked me like five minutes ago, but um, about like, you know, where I am today and everything. We'll talk about my journey. But it just yesterday, I got this text. Like I live in a new neighborhood. We just moved in like months ago. And I got a text from a friend in the neighborhood. It was like, hey, they really need somebody to co-captain like your quarter of the neighborhood for the Friendsgiving, blah, blah, blah. Like apparently like our quarter, like they can't find a captain to just kind of like, you know, they're going to give you some money, like blah, blah, blah. I'm like, well, that would be a nice way to meet people. Like here I am like starting to rationalize it in my head. And I'm like, I know people in the neighborhood. Maybe it'd be nice to meet more people in my quarter of the neighborhood because I know people in other areas of the neighborhood more. And as I sat there thinking, I was like, Hallie, like you don't have childcare for the first two weeks of November, which is, you know, unusual. Like you don't have, like I will be doing all my kids' carpools and extracurriculars. Like I will be literally working maybe two to three hours a day, four days a week for the weeks leading up to Thanksgiving. And then hi, that week is shot because my kids are off. Like, one kid's fully off school. I mean, so I'm looking, I'm like, oh, well, they're just went the entire month in November. And here I am considering like putting more on my plate. And so I like texted my friend back and I was like, yeah, that's going to be a a no for me. Like, sorry. She was like, I think it's great that you were able to look at the whole month because my downfall is I like live week by week and I'll say yes to things. Like we said, we would decorate our trunk for our kids trunk or treat at school, which is this Friday. And then also I got an email that we need to be there at 345 on a Friday. And I was like, what? what? You want me at what time on a Friday? Uh-huh. And 
I just, I think a week at a time because I have so much going on that I'm like, the fact that you even took the time to look at your month is so impressive. Well, you know what it is? I used to say yes to so many things. And so when it comes to my kids, that I have a hard time saying no to, but I also, it's because I want to be there. We've talked about this. My top values, family is number one, right? I've got family, I've got wealth, I've got my own like health and prosperity and all that up there too. And I need to focus on those values. And so when it comes to my kids, like I want to be there, but that's also why I created the business that allows me to. So like on Friday, last Friday, I think it was, I was at my daughter's preschool for, cause she was Shabbat Ima. So like, I didn't realize they, they used to do it on zoom last year. I didn't realize I had to be there in person for like an hour to go I with her. I remember like, doing that very... when they were in preschool. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, with the pandemic, it all changed. I did this with, with yeah. my leave, but with me, I was like, oh my gosh. And I was like, of course I want to be there. So cleared out my entire morning unexpectedly, but I can, right? And then Friday, I'm going, Lily has her parade at 10 a.m., which means I have to get there at 9.30 to get parking, which means I won't be home till 11.30. And then I have to go back at one because I get to be in her room with like one other mom for their fall festival party. And I'm like, of course I want to say yes to this. She'll be so excited. Like, I think that's the biggest blessing of being a business owner is that I do volunteer in my daughter's class on yeah. Wednesdays, except for today, my husband's doing it because I'm here. But then my daughter's excited. Mommy and daddy switch off. And yeah. being, I just recently, actually, this was huge. I started the business thinking, oh, I'll be done in the afternoons and I'll always pick my kids up from school. Ha ha ha. I was never busier, right? I was never felt like I was needed in more places. Yeah. But just recently, I, because I've been able to build such a fantastic management team, I'm like, you know what? I'm leaving the clinic at noon on Wednesdays and my kids get me every Wednesday afternoon because my kids are older. They're fourth and second grade. And now the homework's piling up. And I just felt like, I don't even know what's going on in your life. I yeah. like, this is not why I do what I do. So yeah, right. having the ability to be like, this is my boundary. My kids get me every single Wednesday. All It's their short day. So they get me all afternoon and... But you know, that's like that whole letting go of control factor, right? Like I had to work on that myself because I had to look back and go, okay, hey, Hallie, like you started your private practice so that you could control your hours. You could decide what days you work, right? So in the beginning, so I was like, jokes on me because here I am. I started private practice June, 2014, and then find out that fall I'm pregnant with my first child and had her the following August. And so, and then I had parents who were like, Oh, I want you after school. And we travel to our patients in my practice. And I was like, yeah, no, I started at 8 a.m. Like, I will not be driving around in the DC metro traffic after 2:30. So I would like to be home by three. So no, not happening. So I quickly started to bring on therapists. And it was like I said before, like sometimes I go in with my own goals in mind, and all of a sudden I'm open opportunity. And here we are. Well, that's an opportunity to bring somebody on because all these people wanted after school hours. And this therapist worked in the schools and wanted after school hours. And so you know, it's like, I joke, like the stars aligned. I was able to see the need. And because I remained open to opportunity and didn't feel bogged down by like, oh, another person asking for another thing, which sometimes happens. Like, it just feels like, oh gosh, another thing. I was like, okay, how can we continue to evolve this? Because obviously it's good for the business if I have more and it's only growth, right? That's what it, it was. Right. Too. Like, and it you was have natural. those clients. You don't want to say no. Um, right. That's what then led, I mean, I don't recommend this for all practitioners, but led me to insurance. It was, yeah. we were growing, I was adding therapists, but then there were so many people saying, oh, I just can't afford it. Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, let me bring in insurance companies. And that's a whole other episode. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, when you see what the need is, you yeah. organically grow or change or pivot and you learn lessons along the yeah. way. And yeah. You know, and then your kids, they teach you even more lessons, right? I mean, that that's essentially why I am where I am today. You know, obviously I mentioned, not obviously, but I, I fell into feeding with being thrown into, you know, where I was in the school setting. I then was on the autism team in infants and toddlers when I was still in the county my third year. And that team also dealt with feeding because, uh, but usually the OTs did it. How are we collaborated? Exactly. And sometimes, you know, sometimes with like a co-treat. So Anyways, I started to work with those kiddos. And then in private practice, I started to see patterns. And so so honestly, kids on the spectrum, like I started a business 
that totally flopped. I don't know if anybody really knows this. I've talked about it maybe like once or twice on my own no, I don't podcast, know. but I basically created a training for parents. So I built a whole page of like 50,000 followers of families living with autism between the US and the UK. I had a business coach. I paid all this money to, I was trying to like create things they could download and use with their kids at home. This was like before teachers pay teachers and it was, you know, a thing. And like, you know, this was like back in like 2014. And so there was that. And then I created like a, how to navigate the IEP process training, because I was actually helping a lot of my private practice families doing that and like doing a lot of advocacy around it. And so I created this like two hour training for parents. Literally, it was like gold, like, here you go. I think it was like $197. It wasn't, you know, whatever it was. And I think I made one sale one freaking sale. And well, for one, I wasn't running like any type of ads. I think that the online space is very different in 2014 than it is now. There wasn't like an Instagram. Yeah. Oh yeah. It was, you know, but I saw this and I was like, oh, I want to do that. I want to make passive income. I want to, you know, but I think that I was so hyper-focused on sell, 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 sell. And like, how do I sell them what they want that didn't truly know how to ask and interpret what the information they were giving me back. And maybe I did. I just think that I really wasn't in the right energetic headspace. And I think I also was not following my intuition. And I think I was listening almost too much to what other people were telling me versus what, like I had a business coach that was like, no, don't do that. Do this. Where I was like, I kind of do this and, but okay. If you think that's where the need is, like, let me go that path. And so not, I'm not blaming her at all. That was my choice. Right. But at the same time, I also think I gave up too soon, right? I was like, oh, this doesn't work, throw in the towel. So at that point, I was like, you know what? My private practice is what's making me money. Let me refocus my energies there. Were you treating at this point too? Oh yeah. Yeah, you I was treating. working with clients, not just running yeah. the And I had, I had Lily, she was a baby. Like it was all around that, you know, time period, like 20. So Lily was born August, 2015. So this was like 2015 into 2016. And then I found out, I took my Mayo course, found out Lily was tongue-tied. She was 24 months old. So that would have been around August, the fall of like 2017. At that same time, I was going through the process of getting certified and whatever else that was close to when I then had Mia. No, anyways, I'm mixing up my dates. But the bottom line is, I never let like my pregnancy or my child stand in the way of what I wanted to do for myself. I figured out a way to make it work because I felt that I needed to value my desires, especially because my kids were teaching me things that I felt like I needed to teach more people about, like tongue ties and airway issues and feeding related to those issues. Then, you know, and so come like summer, actually maybe spring 2019, I was like, you know, there's got to be a podcast on this. I just want to listen while I'm driving around treating kids could not find a podcast. Like I found like an episode on a podcast talking about tongue ties, another episode on a podcast talking about tongue ties and airway and Mayo. And I was like, well, that's silly. And so my business coach at that time was like, Hallie, like start a podcast. I'm telling you, you're ahead of the curve here. Like it feels like there's a lot of podcasts out, but it's going to totally just blow up in the next 10 years. And I was like, me? Start a podcast? Like who's going to want to listen to me? Like, you know, we all go through that. For sure. And I was like, okay, fine. So literally within like a month, I launched my podcast and it's like, I'm like the rest is history. Like I launched the podcast, not having any clue. I was like, I know I want to create a course. I know I want to create a membership. I have no idea what the topics will be. I know it'll be something related to what I do. I thought I was going to be maybe business oriented at first for private practice owners. And then I was like, there's just something in my intuition that's telling me that's not the route I should go right now, even though I really love that. So I'm glad I followed my intuition. Yeah, it worked out great. I mean, I launched out. the podcast summer 2019. And then in August, like a couple of months, a month or so later, I basically, I joined this course learning how to create an online course and market it and everything. And I went to like the live event that October. Now I hired my first copywriter and ads team and like virtual assistant, all this stuff in August before like I had any of my ish together because I was just like, I feel like I I know myself. And if I don't hire somebody and like pay them now, like I'm going to put this off for three years. But if I pay them, they're going to be like, Hey, Hallie, where are we at? Where are we at? Where are we at? And it's going to be like that squeaky wheel that gets me actually like moving. That's just who I am. 
So I did that, came back in from like the October training. And I was like, okay, I'm ready. I'm ready to get laser focused, blinders on, head down. I'm very clear on what course I want to create, who it's geared towards, and what we are teaching them. I have no idea what the modules are going to look like. I don't know what those topics are. I just know like the general umbrella of where we're headed. And so with that, we were able to create like my pediatric feeding screening packet that people could download. And it seemed to just like really take off. We were like, oh, people really want this. Okay. I credit me deciding to create my feeding course with my friend and colleague, Teresa Richards, because she literally texted me. So I was going to do a mile course at first. And she texts me like one random afternoon in like August. It was like a Friday. I remember this so well. She's like, hey, so you should create a pediatric feeding course. Like one that actually teaches people how to assess and treat. Like with some like mentorship, someone needs to do it. It doesn't exist. We really need something in this space. And my initial like gut reaction was like, don't tell me what to do, Teresa. Like, I love you, but no. And I didn't say no right away. I was just like, oh gosh, there goes like my inner like, I'm not externally referenced, right? So I was like, no. And I was like, that sounds like a lot of work. But then I was like, oh, the energy around this feels really exciting and good, heavy, because like I don't really know how to do this yet or what to do. But oh, like, I can relate to that exciting and heavy all at the same time, <laughs> right? And yep. so I text. I was like, let me sleep on this. And she's like, well, if you don't want to, I'll just tell somebody else to do it. Yeah. And I was like, dang it. <laughs> Okay. So you've, since then you've created a feeding course, you've created a Mayo course, you've created a Mayo membership for any listeners, not in our field, Hallie's a speech pathologist, but now she's also a myofunctional therapist. She's a feeding expert. So she's creating courses for other speech language pathologists, occupational therapists, dentists, dental hygienists, the list goes on. So they can all learn this skill and then provide the service. The other thing that you um, offer through your courses, which I think is phenomenal, is the component of mentorship. Yeah. Because we're all given information in our courses. And then at the end of the course, we're like, what the hell do I do now? And I remember when I took my first Mayo course, I loved it. I fell in love with my instructor. I loved everything about it. But then I went back and I was alone. I was alone in my clinic telling all my clients like, Hey, we're going to do this whole other thing. I just learned because I wish I learned it in grad school and I'm going to just fake it till I make it. Yeah. And I'm going to act like I know what the hell I'm doing. And I'm going to research the hell out of it every time I sit down with you. And I'm like, I don't know fully what I'm doing. And that's how I learned. Right. My clients taught me really. Same. Same. Um, Yeah. But to have taken a course where then I had this like mentor and it wasn't just Facebook where I was asking questions. I mean, that in itself is worth whatever that course costs, right? Yeah. Well, and that's why I get lifetime access too, because one of the things I kept hearing was, I wish I could just go back to like this section, you know, after seeing this patient, I wish I could just go back and like re-listen to this. And I was like, Oh, well, I mean, in the business world, people give you lifetime access to their courses that you buy at this price point. So I can do that. I guess that's like the beauty of an online course too, right? Because pre-COVID, all the courses were in person, which is awesome to have that in person, but like it's not recorded. Well, and this was a thing, right? I created this in 2019 before we ever knew we had a pandemic coming. So you guys are kind of ahead of me. It's it's weird, right? It's like I'm always working and thinking. You know what it is? I don't adhere to the status quo. I don't adhere to like this is how we do things. So this is how you should do it. I look at what are people saying? Like, what are people complaining about? What are people unhappy with? What is not functional? It is nice to sit in a room and be around friends and colleagues and go to lunch in the middle of the day. But for me, I was like. After lunch, my ADHD brain is just, it's done. After 1 p.m., it's like, after 3 p.m., it's like I might as well have left the room because I just, I can't absorb things after sitting for so long. Like I learn in chunks. So I think part of it was me knowing how I learn best, but also then hearing like how other people learn best and how people were not retaining information, how people were going back and they were like, I don't know what to do. Like, or I came back, I have three ideas for these three patients. And after that, like, now what? 
And, well, and I was just texting you yesterday because I have an occupational therapist at my clinic right now taking your course. And she's like, I love it because I can do 30 minutes to an hour at a time and move yeah. on because I can't absorb it all. And yeah. I have to sit for eight hours. And she's like, that's why I love podcasts. And yeah. I'm up with podcasts because you get a chunk and then you can digest and then you can go back when you're ready for more. Yeah. So while you're creating all these courses, working with business coaches, which I will say in our intro, but Hallie is my current business coach because what she's done is what I'm growing to do in a different way, not targeting the same type of course, but also I feel so aligned to Hallie in how we want to connect to the world and how we want to know what our yeses and our nos are and the spirituality and energetic piece of all of this. So when we knew that we aligned in that way, I was like, yes, absolutely. I want to work with you because I have all these ideas stuck in my head. And I know that I love my clinic and I love treating patients, but like I am missing something and I need to go find what that is. So that's what we're doing. And that is, you know, look, we even have this going from our, from our nails right now. <laughs> so, you know, that's Hallie was the one that told me like, start with the podcast. So here we are. And it's so exciting. And this is the part of my week where I love listening to other women's stories and being inspired. Um, but that was on a tangent. So let me take it back to you're doing all these things. You're a mom, which throws, you know, yeah. that part yeah. of your brain. Yeah. Off. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So your journey sounds beautiful and it sounds complete and it sounds like it flowed, but like, let's be real. That's not how life mess people like, come on. So that's not how I guess, right? It's like, what did you do? You know, how did you approach those really hard times? Are there darker moments or imposter syndrome? Do you ever experience imposter syndrome? How do you push through that and persist to keep going to get to where you are now? So when it comes to imposter syndrome, I feel like I had that when I was like a younger SLP more than anything else. I got to the point where like, I had a coach was like, just be vulnerable, just be honest with people. And if you tell them you're new to something and they decide to work with you anyways, then who cares? Like, and that's like when I came back from my Mayo course, I literally had families waiting for me to come back from my Mayo course because they wanted someone who could travel to them. So instead of starting three months prior with another clinic, they said to me, like I had worked with one of the children earlier, they were like, "Uh, three of us need Mayo and all two kids. They were my first patients. And so I then also came back to like a chunk of my caseload. And I said to like eight other kids and I was like, hey, to the parents, I was like, can I do a free evaluation in our next session? Like it won't be our normal therapy. I just want you to know that I'm not going to charge. I'm just, it'll be a normal therapy late rate. I'm not going to charge you for the eval, but I just came back. I learned a new skill set. I actually think this is going to be really valuable and helpful for your child. And I think that some of the things that we've seen, like, you know, as far as like hitting a wall with certain things, I think this is going to help propel us forward. I also think this is going to benefit their health overall. So like, and they were like, uh, yeah, like, of course you can. So I just got my hands on as many pieces as possible when I got back from my course and I threw myself into it. And then, like you said, I noticed myself going through the motions of like, just using the program and doing like all the exercises and not really knowing why I was doing them. Right. Or just why. Yeah. yeah. And then kind of going like, okay, not everybody needs all of these and yeah. not everybody needs all of these in this order. Yeah. And I really need to figure out why I'm doing what I'm doing. Right. Mm-hmm. And so then it was like, I was self-taught beyond that initial course. And I know it was an intro course. And again, it was fabulous. I loved my instructor. I'm not knocking that, but that's just how a lot of courses are in our industry. And so I was like, something's got to give. And so what ended up happening was I got really excited about launching the feeding course. And all of a sudden, and because I'm a mom, right? Because I have to be laser focused. And that's been a theme that one, I've really tried to focus on even since just like starting my private practice. Like if I wasn't laser focused with my head down and my blinders on, I would have never started a private practice because there was literally one every mile down the road as you drove that book insurance that go ahead. Yeah. What does laser focus mean to you though? Does that mean you're not thinking you're, this is all you're focusing on. This is what you're doing. You're not really socializing. You're not really going out. You're not filling your weekends with extra things like, you know, besides the girls and your husband, you're zeroed in on what you're so, creating. 
Yeah. So like for me, like I enjoy being social, but it takes so much energy. Like I joke that I'm both like extroverted and introverted. So like people hear me and they're like, oh, you're a total extrovert. And I'm like, you know what? On the weekend, I'd rather just chill on my couch and do like very little than run around to like birthday parties and social things. And like, do I enjoy myself when I go to social things? Yes. Do I have to force myself to do them? Yes. Because I really enjoy the work I do and I enjoy spending time with my family. And while I do love my friends, like I just find it's so draining because I have to well, be so if you're on. Your weekend socializing, like right now I'm in the middle of soccer season for my son and my daughter's dancing and the weekends where it takes up everything and I haven't tackled anything on that to-do list. I start Monday with anxiety. So I made like, a rule for myself. I made a rule when I was running that private practice. My rule was email shuts down on Friday afternoon and I don't look at it until Monday morning. If true. there is an emergency, my team is allowed to text me. But like, what kind of an emergency is really happening? You know what I mean? It's like if they have a personal emergency or a patient has an emergency or something that's like health related, rare, but yes, text me, call me, no problem. But I just made it very clear what my boundaries were. So nobody would expect, right? Like I had to set those boundaries. That was my responsibility. That's but I also wrong time to do. Well, I and it's hard. It's very aware of yeah. what you want and you're not infiltrated by other people. Desires and opinions where I'm totally the opposite. Well, I was not always, right? So early on in my career, people knew me as everyone's like, oh, Hallie's the best. She answers emails late at night. She goes above and beyond for all of her patients, her clients, her therapists, the schools she goes into. Like people would say, jump. And I would be like, how high? <laughs> now and then at a certain point, you know, it was really hard was breaking that cycle when this is the identity that people knew of me. And I was still working in those same schools with those same teachers with those same patients, with my same team, right? It was sort of like overnight, I was like, I had to like slowly put up more walls because I realized I could do that before I had kids. I could do that from 2014 to 2015. And I could do it a little bit from 2015 to 2018. But then when I had two kids, a toddler and a baby, I was like, oh, hell no. Like, we are I love that you do that because I continued to do that while I had kids. And let me tell you, I sucked. I sucked as a human. I sucked as a wife. I didn't feel good internally. I wasn't what I wanted to be as a mom or as a boss. And it was, I think, setting those boundaries that makes me better across the board. Yeah. There's no such thing as balance. Balance is a false. I I have two things. I'm like, work-life balance does not exist. Financial security does not exist. And one thing that one of my business coaches once said to me that right before the one who told me to start the podcast, he was like, look, Allie, people are going to judge you no matter what. They're going to judge you and say they love your purple shirt today. They're going to judge you and say they don't like your hair today. They're going to judge you and say you're out of your league talking about this. Does it matter? Think about all of people who need the information that you have to share. Think about all the people who are going to benefit from the information you have to share. The number of people who are going to judge you, whether it's positive or negative, he was like, it doesn't matter. You have to decide, are you going to basically fall prey to that? Or are you going to be driven by the people who need to hear your message and who you are going to help? And I think for me, when he told me that back in like early 2019, that basically took away any and all fear I had of imposter syndrome of, well, what is this person going to think of me? And I actually from the very beginning went at it like, you know what? There are people in the field who have been in the field for 30 years, but there's people who've been in the field for five years who are so hyper-specialized that they actually know a heck of a lot more about a certain topic and can teach it a lot better than someone who's been in the field for 30 years, who's a generalist or who specialized in something else. And so, you know, this whole like ageism and it's prevalent in our field, right? And That was one of the things that I basically entered into the space. And I was like, my programs are going to be a safe space to learn. People are going to get vulnerable because you cannot learn and you cannot be vulnerable and you cannot become a critical thinker if you are not in a safe space. And that was the identity of my program. And I didn't realize this at the time, but well, I did realize it, but I didn't realize that I basically had created what I now call the elevation movement, where all of my programs, I realized this after I had my feeding course and membership and the podcast, I was like, huh, there's three things that are interwoven into everything that I teach. 
That is one identity because I'm sitting here telling you, yes, you can call yourself a myotherapist. Yes, you can call yourself a feeding therapist. You don't have to have 20 years of experience before you call yourself that. And I learned this from that business coach too. I was like, if you don't have and own the identity, how the heck can you even entertain learning that information? If I don't identify as a feeding therapist and you throw all this information at me, I'm just a speech pathologist who doesn't do feeding. Well, you're going to learn differently. It impacts how you absorb the information. It impacts what you hear. It impacts the channels that are open and the energy surrounding the information you take in and then how you go out and use that information. And so I found that identity was really important. And there's a lot of people in our field who are not happy about that, that I was giving people permission to call themselves. I'm like, no, I'm actually giving you permission to call yourself whatever you want, but we're going to do that through the feeding course first and then through the Mayo membership and Mayo course and all that. So there was that. Then there was skill set, which I'm like, of course, has skill set. Okay. I'm not special there. And then the last thing was so identity, skill set, and mentorship, which you mentioned before. I was like, this. There are people who promise mentorship and then don't actually provide it. It's not possible to mentor in a two-day class. It's, you know, mentorship is something that has to occur over a period of time, which was why I decided to make my feeding course 12 weeks so that we could chunk the learning and the topics. And we've even changed it since the beginning. We have changed not the order in which we teach things, but that some of the content changed, some of like who was teaching it changed just because of nature of life. Yeah. I mean, it's the course itself has evolved. But I came in like guns a blazing. I'm ready to flip this industry on its head and take down all the gatekeepers. Like stop withholding all this information and the ability to provide mentorship to people who desire it. So you kind of did, right? You kind of came in and did a lot of things that weren't being done. So did you get people in our industry who stopped talking to me the day that I launched my course? So how do you handle that personally? I was like, I don't give a shit because I know how many people I'm helping. And here's what I looked at it as, right? Like, and I get chills when I say this, like these babies, these toddlers, these kids who are sitting on wait lists because there are not enough therapists who know how to work with them. It's ego. It is ego that we have people in our industry who care more about, you know what? I want to be the specialist and I want to be that educator versus creating more people teaching, more people treating we have to put ego aside. It's not about us. It's about those the children. And if you actually care about what you do and you actually care about your patients and then children out there and their caregivers and the family units trying to survive in these really highly stressful feeding situations postpartum when mom is also trying to heal and you know, you've got these dyads trying to breastfeed and massively failing because our system system's failing them, right? you know, trying to bottle feed and they can't bottle feed. And then that turns into maybe we get them going there, but then transitions to solids as a mess. And, you know, we could be doing so much better. And so that was my driving factor. And that's what I was focused on. So it didn't matter what anybody thought about me or said about me. You're not impacted about what people think. I think that's so powerful and probably. But I knew I couldn't do it myself, right? Like I was like, this is bigger than me. This is not about Hallie. This is not about how even making money or teaching. This is about how do we create more pediatric feeding therapists working with infants and toddlers so that they can go out and treat these kids. We can get kids off wait lists. We can collaborate with providers. We feel confident in saying we don't know when we don't know and doing more research and getting more guidance and taking more classes and getting more mentorship, right? And so that was what I wanted to provide was like the jumping off point for that to create this ripple effect of like, and there's other people who've tried to like knock off my courses and mentorships and memberships, you know, and it doesn't bother me. People are like, well, doesn't that bother you? And I'm like, no, because I'd rather have more, as long as they're teaching like actual information that's accurate and that's helping therapists and they're not being gatekeepers and they're mentoring and creating more pediatric feeding therapists. No, I don't. That's my goal. That is my mission. And so I don't see it as competition. I see it as flattering because I feel like I started. I love that you have that mindset. I can come at it from the mom standpoint when we were in the beginning of COVID and then for at least a year and a half through COVID, our son went through a very specific kind of feeding challenge and something called ARFID, avoidant restrictive feeding intake disorder. So it's not the feeding therapy necessarily that you do, but it's more he had a fear of eating and that's a whole other story. Do you know 
how many people I called that said, that's too specific of a diagnosis. I don't treat it or I treat it, but they have to be 12 years or older. And he was eight at the time. I had never been more scared as a parent. I thought I was going to have to check him in to a facility and leave my baby. I was watching him turn to skin and bones and I could not find help. I could not find help because not enough people knew how to treat this. And I get emotional just talking about it. My husband and I, it was the lowest of the low to watch your child suffer with feeding. So like even at our clinic, when there's someone that calls and there's like a dire feeding situation, I'm like, that client needs to get in, needs to get in, needs to be seen. Feeding is so, so important. That is your child's well-being, their health. So the fact that you're opening this up to so many different people and teaching so many people, it's just, I agree, forget the professionals. How many families have been impacted? How many might sleep because of this? Yeah. And I invite people like contact me if you're listening, because I have a lot of moms who've now come and listen to my podcast, which is never what I geared it towards. The name of your podcast. Yeah. The Untethered Podcast. And, you know, and I invite them. I'm like, DM me on on Instagram and I will do my best to try and find a therapist in your area for you. I can't magically make them appear, but like if one exists, like I will ask colleagues, I have a directory from my course graduates. Like I will try because, and that's just a love project. That's a, you know, I want to make sure that they can connect with people who can actually help them because what happens like being a mom in this space of a child who also struggled to feed as an infant, like Lily was my best teacher seven years ago it was miserable. And I didn't have this avenue to turn to. I didn't know everything I know now. I didn't work with infants. I worked with toddlers on up and it was mostly like more selective eating, not like anatomically based things that I'm now aware of. And that's why I also integrated the tethered oral tissue and myo stuff into the program. So I'm like, traditional myo is not for babies and toddlers. There's no such thing, but we do address those goals in PD sensory motor, you know, feeding therapy with our pediatrics between birth to four years of age. And so why is nobody teaching this? Like, why are we not talking about that for SLPs and OTs who are already working with these patients? Like they need to know this information, um, which also pissed other people off. But you know, here we are. I didn't care. I was like, it doesn't matter to me. Because as a woman entrepreneur, I think that I don't care attitude about judgment is huge because I know there are so many women, especially women and not men, which that's another tangent too, but that deal with imposter syndrome. Yes. They deal with that self-doubt and that fear. And can I do this? And what will people think? So the yeah. fact that you're able to release that and focus on what's your ultimate goal is yeah. it's beautiful. Yeah. I mean, and I'm the first one to tell you, I don't know everything. I'm on my own learning journey. There's still right. plenty for me to learn. Like I will never call myself an expert like other people might, but like my identity is not necessarily an expert per se. It's more so an educator, a coach, a mentor, a person who is able to take what I've learned, take the research, take the information and put it into a package that other people can more easily understand and then allow them lifetime access to that packaged information, right? Obviously things are going to evolve and things are going to change over the years. And so what's relevant now may change, you know, five years down the road, but then, you know, we also just by nature of giving CEUs, I have to update my course every five years. So, you know, it's one of those things where like, I'm on a continued journey. Like this is not the end all be all in this specialty. But I think being able to say that, that's not something I think I would have been comfortable saying 10 years ago. Like being able to say, I don't know everything. Everyone joked like I was a know-it-all and that like it's Hallie's way or the highway and it's this or that. And so I think it's been a very humbling experience as well because in order to truly step into any type of leadership position, you have to figure your own shit out. You have to, you know, become a person who is able to connect with others or at least connect with the people that you want to attract. And so the old Hallie never would have done that. The other thing that I think is so interesting is everyone has like a big like reaction when I share this is my date to launch the course was March 16th, 2020. And everyone goes, the day the world shut down. And I'm like, yeah. The day the world shut down, I sat there for a minute. I was like, huh, people are losing their jobs. People don't know if they're going to go back to work in two weeks. We all think we are, but who we knows what's really happening right now? Like, this is, you know, we don't really know what's going on. I could have sat back and be like, oh, 
you know, I probably shouldn't be taking people into a course that's like this big of a financial investment. They don't really even know like what their jobs are. I mean, I could have gone there, but I didn't because I'm not going to make up stories for other people. I'm going to provide what the universe is pulling me to provide. And I'm going to allow adults to make their own choices. And I'm never going to pressure anybody. And the biggest thing I tell people is, look, like you may read my marketing and feel like, oh gosh, like I feel like I have to do it now. Well, that's your own internal pressure. Like that's not being caused by me. If you ask me, are you going to do it again later? Later people out there who will say, nope, sorry, we're not doing it again. But like, no, yes, of course, I'm, you know, I'm going to do it again later. You come when you're ready. Like, we're happy to have you whenever. If you decide it's right for you and if you decide it's not right, right for you, that's okay too. And so I think just like truly saying that, but also believing it, like that comes from my subconscious. Like that doesn't come from me so trying to sell people. To me, sounds like you're I'm unattached to the outcome. Your trust muscles really strong. Yeah, but I also am unattached to the outcome because another one of my business coaches taught me the outcome doesn't define you. If you have a failed launch, if you have a failed business or you have a successful launch, neither of those define who you are. You are still you, whether you have five people buy or you have zero people buy, you are still you. And, and so that's why it's like, you have to get so clear on who you are, like, Who are you being in this world? What energy are you putting out? I think so many people are not who you want to be and you're not putting out the energy that you want to put out. How? How do you get to that point? Right. And that's where I feel so called to work with people. It's like, how do you say, hey, I don't like, because that's where I was, you know, years back. I was like, I don't like how I'm showing up. I don't like the energy I'm giving. I don't like how I'm presenting as a human to this world. So what do I do? Right. Right? And that's a hard journey. That's a lot of self-reflection and a lot of sad, hard feelings. But I think you're so right. It's how are we showing up? What are we presenting? Who do we want to be? But you have to know that. Right. Exactly. It's inner work, right? It's the kind of work that only you can do. And it's funny because when I initially joined this course back, it's called it's TCP. And I'm like, I can't remember what it, that stands for. But anyway, something about like transformation. Um, but anywho, I joined it thinking I was getting into it to like prep myself for like business stuff. And I got into this course and I was like, oh, shit, I have to work on me. Like, huh. And so business got postponed for three months because I was like, I have so much inner work to do. It was all about like identity and responsibility and relationships and like all those nitty gritty things that people just don't want to deal with. And, you know, and if you had told me I was going to work on me when I, that's why I was signing up, I would have been like, oh, this course isn't for me. I'm fine. And then I got into the course and I was like, I am so not fine. Like I so need this. And it just happened to be that it showed up like when I needed it in my life. But I think that is also what doing all that work, the money investment, the time investment, the energetic investment, That is what has allowed that that same coach I continued in. He then launched a business program off of that, which I then continued in. And that's when I was like, okay, I am now in the proper energetic space, a proper headspace, a proper spiritual space to do what I want to do. And I love that because I think that is the first step. That first step is, you know, being energetically and spiritually grounded in who you want to be. Yes. So if you hadn't done that first, do you think it would have changed? Oh, I probably like with the world shutting down, I would have been like, oh my gosh, we have to postpone this a couple of weeks, like and see yeah. what happens. And like, I would have wasted, like, honestly, I would have wasted 50 grand. I would have yeah. been at a, like 50 grand loss. And I would have been like, it doesn't matter because what are people going to think of me if I launch this? And then I was kind of like, you know what? You Because know, I actually like, I had like a thought of not what are people going to think of me, but like, is this the right time to do this? Like I had to stop and reflect with everything happening in the world. And I was like, you know what? It's in motion. It's happening. Let's just see what happens. And I was so unattached to the outcome. My goal was to do a six figure launch. I was like, I just want to make a hundred K. I want to make back the money I made plus more to cover everybody I'm going to be paying. And you know, my time in all the, that I've invested in the past six months. And did you do it? I made 95K. Yeah. And I was so happy. And it's, you know, some people would have been mad that they didn't make, or I think it was a 96K. People would have been mad that like they didn't make 100K. They would make that other extra $4,000. And I was over here like jumping for joy. I was like, I'm so glad I trusted my intuition. 
Could you imagine at the start of the pandemic what you would have seen? Like, what did you say? If you didn't launch at the start of a pandemic when everyone's in fear? <laughs> like that oh, was yeah. nice when everyone just thought they don't yeah. even know if they have a career anymore. Yeah. Oh yeah. I mean, it's continued to evolve and we continue, we did raise the price like several launches, you know, and then not the, I think the next launch, but the launch after that. And then again, like a launch or two later to where it is today, we've now launched it nine times. And it's one of those things where like, I don't have any clue where I would be today if I hadn't started then. And I'm so glad that I followed my intuition and that I took the time to reflect, but still propelled myself forward because what it did allow me to do, which was really incredible, which I will never forget. I remember sitting because we were all working from home, which was not, I wasn't anticipating. I thought my one child would be with the, you know, with the RO pair and the other one would be in preschool. I'm trying to think how old they were then, or maybe they would have both been in preschool. I don't know, but I had set my like training hours for when they would be not with me. And I wouldn't have my husband working over my head in the master bedroom with his little thing, tapping his foot every five seconds. And I'm like hearing this like thud, Third, third, and I'm like, oh my God, this is so unprofessional. So I, but I ended up switching with him. I was like, nope, I'm taking the master bedroom. I need to be up here. And I set everything up and I just fed into the energy and I allowed myself to get vulnerable with the people who came to my free five day training that I launched before we opened doors. And some of the things we did that week, because I noticed that people were in, we were working from a lot of nervous energy. And they weren't, and a lot of people were transitioning to teletherapy and they weren't quite sure how. And I was like, you know what? This wasn't planned, but let me just teach you guys like what I know, because it'll just be a free bonus training. I wasn't planning on doing it this week, but let's talk teletherapy. Send me your questions. Let's do a Facebook live. And I did. And people were so grateful for that because I've been doing it for like a year and a half or two years with some of my Mayo clients. They would come to me for in-person therapy and some of my therapists. And then for 30 minute sessions, they're like, we don't want to travel to you. Traffic sucks after school. And I was yeah. like, great, let's do virtual. So we had already done it with some of like, not my whole practice, but like some clients. So I had the processes, I had the processes down. So anywho, I shared all that and people were all like, this is incredible. Thank you so much. There was just a lot of open dialogue, Q and a, which was nice. And then I also did dance parties with my kids. And I was like, I'm going to do dance parties in the Facebook group. I don't remember if we put it like on the Facebook page and on an Instagram page or not. But people were like, this is so much fun. Like, thank you for being such a positive light in a very unknown, stressful time period. Everyone was sitting at home by themselves. So I told them like Friday, 1 p.m., I'm going to put on music. I will put my phone up and I'm just going to dance with my kids. Come dance with us. And everyone was like, that was incredible. I just felt like some people have been like, oh, that's so stupid. And that's silly. And it's not related to what you're launching and business versus this. And I'm like, my business, my family, like sometimes the lines do cross. My kids are in my port. They're port points. You know, yeah. it's like, yeah. So I'm like, why not bring them in? There are so many, you work with children, like either you're a mom and you have kids and, or you work with kids. That is my market. So yeah. I think that that was just really powerful. And I think it also just helped people take a deep breath. But that's why when I say like, I've really learned to follow my intuition and become detached from the outcome, meaning like, yes, I have my goals. Yes, I want to make a certain amount of money. But I don't let that define me or make that mean anything about me if we hit that goal, if we're short of that goal and whatnot, because I've experienced you that. Give yourself grace. Yeah. I've experienced not hitting financial goals in many different launches. Like, do we still do well? Yes. Am I still equally as grateful for everybody who's in our program? Yes. Like I said, I don't like let it define me. I then go, okay, great. Launch is done. Now let's focus our energies on who's here. We attracted who was meant to be here in this time with us. Now my energies go to them. And so that is, I think, the most beautiful thing that like I've been able to do. And people are like, it's so fun. Like you make it so fun with this and that. And, you know, it's about how you interact as well. Not just about people don't care how much you know, right? They care how you treat them, feeling that they get when they're around you. So that energy, like obviously we need to know what we're teaching, but I think energy, like it always comes back to energy. Percent, a thousand percent. I think you can take the most knowledgeable person, whether you're going to a therapist or you're using a coach or whatever it is. And if they make you feel small and unworthy, you're not going to get anything out of it. And you can take someone with a little bit less experience that makes you feel amazing and is open and is on this journey with you. And that's who I would want to work with. So I hear you. So before we wrap up, 
because I could talk to you forever. I have a million more questions, but your journey is super inspiring. You've done so much all while having all these other things that we're not balancing more juggling or navigating yeah. going on in your life. Oh, totally. Not just women in our field, but just women anywhere, women that want to follow their heart and do what lights them up and give back in a way that's meaningful to them. What would be your top three words of advice? Okay. Well, one, you need to work with Jesse because she can help you do that. Love it. <laughs> I had to plug you. Number two, I think figuring out who you are. And where you are right now versus where you want to be. Who's the person you want to be, right? A year from now, you have to figure out how to be that person today. And obviously that's easier said than done. But I am here to tell you that this is what we very quickly integrate and teach people to do in 10 minutes in the beginning of all my courses, just by allowing them to be, to call themselves a pediatric feeding therapist, right? Like if you're like, you want to be a business owner, right? Just saying to yourself, okay, I am envisioning myself a year from now. I am a successful business owner who has a million dollars in my bank account and da, 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 right? And you think about the car you drive, if that's important to you, or you think about like, you know, what you and your family are eating. Maybe that allows you to get different types of foods on the table to fuel your body and your family's body in a more healthy way. Whatever it is to you, you know, maybe that it, it allows you to give back, which is kind of like point three for me. Whatever that is, envision it. And then figure out, right? Like feel it. Like how can you, even though you don't have all that money yet, even though you can't give back in the way you might want to yet, even though you can't do X, Y, and Z yet, because you know, you're going to get there, but you're not there today. We still need to be that person who has all those things today. And I know that that's something that you can help them with. That would be number two, like figure out, we need to figure out how to be that person. And then number three is, well, maybe I have four figure out your values. What do you value most? What do you feel like drives you every day? And not what is sustained, right? Like don't be ashamed of one of them is money or one of the something that other people say, oh, that's materialistic or that's, you know, vain. No, own your values. They're intuitively there for a reason. Yeah. And I can tell you, I attract a lot of women who value family, number one, whether they have kids or not. Family is still at number one or in their top three values, but most of them don't yet have money, wealth, affluence, any of those yet in their top values. And guess what happens? We can't give back if we don't have those things. We can't put food on our table if we don't have those things. We can't truly pour into ourselves to then pour into others if we don't have those things. Money is not the root of all evil, even though society tells us it is. Money is a tool. And this is something that I teach. Like I, we have this conversation. Like I teach this to everybody that I work with because it's a tool that allows us to do the things we want to do. Okay. And so number four, last point, I'm going to add one on your See, I don't, I don't ever, you know, you ask me for three, I give you four. Like I just do what I want to do. It's all good stuff. (laughs) Perfect example of how, like figure out how you want to give back, right? It could be volunteering at your child's school. It could be volunteering in your neighborhood. It could be walking around your neighborhood and picking up trash. It could be donating $10,000 to an an organization. It doesn't have to take money. It could just be a time or an energetic way to give back. Like you figure out what that exchange is going to be, that energetic exchange that allows you to give back because that is going to drive you so much more than anything else. I decided at some point that I was going to give back 20% of my net profits of my feeding course per year. Okay. Now this course has created seven figures in the past nine times I've taught it, right? In the past three yeah. years. So now the fact that I can take 20% of the net proceeds and give it back, I've been able to donate, you know, and I don't say this to toot my own horn, but I want people to realize the impact because there is research that shows that when you share that you've donated and sometimes how much you've donated, it inspires other people to go out and do the same and give back in a way that's meaningful to them. Right. So if I can donate 10 grand to Bread for the City DC, which helps to get people off, you know, homelessness, people off the streets and give them good training and clothing so they can go get jobs and feed them as well. Amazing. If I can give back 10 grand per year to right now to any Jewish federal federal organization. Right. right. Yeah. Like I just made a donation for um Jewish fertility in DC because a friend is connected to that recently. Awesome. I make a large donation to Dreams for Kids DC, which is renaming themselves right now. And I forget the name. I think it's called SOAR now. 
but they get, they do clinics and have opportunities with local like sports heroes and different types of art and physical types of adapted clinics for children with special needs and for children who don't have all the same resources. You know, that's very near and dear to my heart, just given the type of work, you know, that we do. And then, you know, there is also beyond that, like, I'm a sponsor for a race for DIPG, which is a very rare brain cancer in children. You know, it just gives you the opportunity when people come to you and say, hey, can you donate something to our silent auction? Or can you, you know, I'm like, yes, right. And then also to be able to give back, there is a good feeling. There's a good energetic exchange when someone comes to you and they're like, this is incredible. We were not expecting this level of donation. And I'm like, well, I'm just happy that I'm able to do this and have that impact and allow you to put on this symposium for these children or put on this clinic for these children or, you know, get some people off the streets because money, yes, money is power, but money is a tool that allows me to do these things. And so I don't let money control me. I have found a way to be at one with money. And I think that is one of the number one things that we could have a whole episode just on that. Like we really could, and maybe we will have a whole episode. Yeah. Because the other thing money is, is freedom. And it's freedom to make decisions that you feel are the right decisions without stress or worry or hesitation. It's not having the nicest bag or having the fanciest car. No, money is giving your children and your family the opportunities that you want them to have. It's giving people that need it. It's being able to donate on the spot if you weren't expecting to. It's having that ability to go through life the way you really want to without restriction of scarcity. Yeah. So So disclaimer, like you have to have number two in place. You have to have your identity locked in. And really be working from an energetic place subconsciously to also invite that type of money into your life and hold on to the money and not fear losing it all. Because I know people who are seven figure earners who still work from a poverty mindset yeah. who fear losing it all. And so there's a lot of inner work around all of this. Just cycles us all the way back to the beginning of, well, for me, at least like before being able to really get my business where I wanted it and to do, you know, start going into coaching because I don't want other women to go through the hardship I went through. If I can guide them better, you have to do that inner work. You have to know who you are, figure out what feels good, figure out what are those values. You have to do that self-reflection to be able to succeed in other aspects of your life. Absolutely. Yeah. It's been so great talking with you. I know we could chat all day. I love this stuff. <laughs> I feel like there's so many topics we can take from this episode to make a complete new episode. Love you. I learned so much from you every day. You're such an inspiration to women and business owners everywhere. So thank you so much for sharing thank your you. journey. Thank you. thank you for having me. Anytime. Bye. Thank you all so much for listening to today's episode. If you like what you heard and you want to hear more, Please rate, review, and follow along on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can also find out more about me at www.jessiebloys.com and follow along at Facebook at Jesse Bloys or on Instagram at, at Jesse Bloys. See you again next week with another great episode.